1: and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half, the podcast where we get into all the 90s comics news we didn't have time to cover on the main show. I'm Adam, and this is mini-episode 37.5. So let's get started. Michael, why don't you take it away with... The Wave
0: Riders, Wayback Machine, for September of 1994. Oh boy, this is a good one. We're gonna start with music this time because the movies are epic and I wanna save that for the end. First, we have a huge, huge album for me in my life, The Notorious B.I.G. Ready to Die. I love this album more than i can possibly explain then we have rem monster i remember this album cover i'm forgetting which songs are on this album then we have kylie minogue's self-titled kylie minogue album because she was huge back then oh man i actually i liked a lot of kylie minogue songs i'm not gonna lie for some of you like heavy metal fans, we've got Slayer with Divine Intervention. And if you are a Weezer fan, this is probably the quintessential Weezer song of all time. Buddy Holly came out in September of 94 off of the Blue Album, which arguably is the best Weezer album. People might say Pinkerton is the best album. I think the Blue Album is far and away the best album. Then we have Bad Religion with Stranger Than Fiction. I remember this album. I couldn't name a song off this album if you paid me. No idea. Then we have another popular artist, Liz Fair with Whip Smart. I remembered this album. I remember her, but I don't know any songs off of this album, to be honest with you. Then we have a huge, huge movie with a huge album that came out, the Pulp Fiction album, which had a wide variety of various artists on it. And this was a really good album. Going down the list little bit we've got brandy's self-entitled album brandy which was a really popular album at that time huge huge album then we've got the cranberries came out with the song zombie in september wow i can't believe this all these things came out in september that's crazy then we've got a another tremendous tremendous album that really sparked a Huge fan base. Dave Matthews Band, Under the Table and Dreaming. And you'll know, I think, Ants Marching came off of this album. And that was tremendous. Like, crazy. Going down the list. Oh, boy. You gotta be kidding me. This is great. Blues Traveler with Four. And I loved Blues Traveler. I'm not gonna lie, I loved Blues Traveler. I used to sing these songs all the time. Great album, great music, fantastic stuff. After that, we've got apparently The Shawshank Redemption came out with their album, by Thomas Newman. I guess it must be the soundtrack. Really good soundtrack. It's a very good movie as well obviously, which I'm sure we'll be talking about on my other podcast, Box Office 30, when we get to 94. But that's really it for our music. There was a lot of good stuff. Wow. To start it off with Notorious B.I.G. and Weezer. Wow. Big, big staples for me. And then Dave Matthews Band. Oh boy, this is huge. And then Blues Traveler. Let's now talk about the movies of September of 94. 1994 and boy oh boy there's some good stuff right out of the gate i just mentioned it shawshank redemption came out in september 23rd then you've got a movie called terminal velocity if you haven't seen this movie go find it or whatever it's 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 a movie It's a movie, alright. You've got The Scout. Oh, this is a great movie, The Scout. I loved this movie. It's Brendan Fraser gets recruited out of, like, Mexico to play for the Yankees, and he's, like, super phobic of all kinds of stuff. Um, Albert Brooks is the is the scout himself, and it's just a fantastic movie. It ends with him pitching in the World Series and pitching a perfect game for the Yankees in the World Series. It's a, it's a great movie. I just spoiled the whole movie if you haven't seen it 30 years later. Oh well, but too bad. The the next one we have is The River Wild. Oh, this was a very good movie. Too. This was hugely popular. This is a Meryl Streep movie. I really like this movie. There was a lot of River rafting movies of this time period. And this was one of the bigger ones that came out. Ooh, here we go. For all of you Tim Burton fans, we've got Ed Wood. This is arguably, people say, maybe his best film other than Batman and Beetlejuice. But people love this movie. Johnny Depp, probably at his best in this movie. So many great actors. Martin Landau, Sarah Jessica Parker, you name it. The list goes on and on. If you haven't seen Ed Wood, check this movie out. Vincent D'Onofrio plays Orson Welles. I mean, it's fantastic. You couldn't get a better casting than that. Seriously, it's a home run. Before I forget, I cannot talk about September of 94 without talking about one of my favorite, favorite, favorite movies of the 90s. I hope at some point I get to talk about this movie. But we've got Time Cop oh man jean-claude van damme at his best in this movie this movie is fantastic ron silver is the villain you don't get better than ron silver as a 90s villain oh man if you haven't seen time cop it is one of the best time travel movies you'll ever seen it's great oh boy this movie makes me so happy i love this movie so much i can't wait to review it at some point yeah great time cup and that will round out September of 1994 for the Wave Riders Wayback
1: Machine back to Adam. Thanks Michael now it's my turn to bring you Robin's Reading Rainbow Rocky Robin,
0: yeah Rocky
1: Robin. Now, as you'll recall, the big news at Image was X-Month, where the six founders were swapping books for one issue and giving the reins over to each other. I was more interested in this stunt than any of the books as produced by their creators on an ongoing basis, so I bought them all and I gave them a read. So here are my brief thoughts on all six titles in Image X-Month. So first up was Spawn, as drawn by Mark Silvestri. And I gotta say, I'm not super familiar with Silvestri's output beyond his X-Men days at Marvel. I mean, I've seen plenty of Witchblade and the darkness covers, but never perused the insides. I, I have, however, read some Spawn, and I have to say that Silvestri does an admirable job of taking over for Todd on issue 25. The, the main difference I noticed was that the people looked like people and not rubber-faced puppets. Uh, but he kept the same look and tone over Overall. Now, in this issue, Spawn is battling a mutant bull man named Tremor, which I only know because I remember the action figure in stores at this time and thinking it was weird. There's a ridiculous moment, though, where they're fighting and Spawn fakes Tremor out with a plywood cutout of himself, like Wily e. Coyote style. When did he have time to cut out and paint that thing? So weird. The letters pages, though, that's the most interesting thing here for me because they are filled with explanations as to why. Todd didn't publish issues 19 and 20 in order. So here's what they say about that. So, why exactly are three Spawn books shipping in the next three weeks? Well, it's rather confusing, but the end result is more Spawn product for you, our loyal fans. As you've already noticed on the ad following this issue's story, please buy Spawn 25 out next week, but do not read it. Wait till you get issue 20 the following week and reread Spawn 18 through 25 in a row. As the ad states, believe it or not, it will all make sense. And besides, it makes reading Spawn a little more interesting, no? So, it's just kind of funny how they're like, yeah... Don't read it. It's coming out. See, like we actually put it out, but don't read it yet. So this is what it says here, the ad they're referring to at the end of the issue. The official Spawn Guide to Reading, Spawn Issues 18 through 25. You already have issues 1 through 19, plus issues 21 through 24. You just bought number 25. I hope you haven't read it yet. Spawn 20 ships next week. Please buy it. Once you have issue 20, reread issues 1 through 25 in order. Believe it or not, it will all make sense. Three issues at three weeks. Believe it or not, it will all make sense. They want to reiterate that. Thanks. Todd. All of this happened because and yeah, there's a picture of McFarlane. It's basically a caricature of him at a drawing table. And he's going, eh, uh, 18, 21, 22, 23, 24, 19, 25, 20, 26. I think that's it. Spawn is yelling at him from behind. Get it right, you buffoon. And so basically they're saying it's because Todd can't count. And somehow he mixed it up. I have to believe there are other issues at play. He's launching his toy line and everything else at this time but anyway i just thought it was they really wanted to lay it out like buy it it's not coming out in order but then reread it in order please anyway uh, how did mcfarland do handling cyber force in his trade with sylvestri well it's funny todd and mark chose nearly identical poses for their two covers so spawn is crouching with gargoyles on a rooftop as drawn by sylvestri and ripclaw from Cyberforce is doing the exact same pose on a rooftop you as drawn by McFarlane, so it's a nice gag. I think that's a fun little bit of synergy there. Uh, But this story involves the team hunting down a mutant monster named Psychout, that's P-S-Y-K-O-U-T, who can make people see the most important person to them instead of his hideous visage. Uh, Anyway, McFarlane gets a chance to draw some gruesome images, but nothing really spectacular. You know, even like with just body poses or anything. Uh, And there's a guy with three cybernetic arms on one side of his Body in Cyberforce, and still nothing really jumped out at me. However, the letters page, they are super hyped up. Here's the specific quote it says, The heat behind this title in Hollywood is scorching hot. Besides the games, which are looking sweet, a feature film could be coming your way. Of course, we might need Black Anvil to help get through that red tape. Hint, hint. Guess if you know who Black Anvil is, that's great. Make sure to check out Codename Strikeforce as it has a new creative team including our hot new artist Billy Tan. The Cyberforce bendable figures are going to be delayed for the time being. Our current entertainment deals including the Master toy line require a new strategy for Cyberforce huge entrance into the mass market and yeah so they talk about the cyber force resin statue and all this other stuff but yeah it just seemed like sylvester thought he was gonna get the same treatment as jim lee and everybody else and yeah that didn't really work out although eventually he did get a witchblade live action tv movie and the tv series so he had some success there Okay, so next up is Eric Larson handling Wildcats number 14, which is a pretty fun story compared to the two cool for school issues of the main title I've read in the past. Basically, Maul in his human form is mad because a woman named Margot that he knows was injured by falling debris while a Captain Marvel clone called Mighty Man was battling a villain and it put her in the hospital so he hulks out Maul style and jumps on this very Kirby-esque type of jetpack platform thing and flies off to pick a fight with the regretful superhero who is at the hospital lamenting that he caused this damage. But, of course, this big battle that ensues draws the attention of Freak Force and then the Wildcats team arrives to give him backup. And so, yeah, so there's a big, you know, knockdown dragout fight between the teams. But, of course, Reason wins out in the end when Savage Dragon shows up to tell everyone they're on the same side. Why are they fighting? Then they all spend the last page party being on the beach together so it's pretty silly uh the craziest thing to me though that i didn't realize was that mighty man the twist that they put on it is it's actually a woman who turns into a super powered man now on the letters page, Larson has a whole explanation about Image X Month from his perspective. He basically explains the original concept that they wanted to make it a surprise, so you wouldn't know who drew which book until you picked it up off the shelves. But as Larson explains, then retailers started to grumble. They didn't know how to order the books. It's no secret that Image comics don't all sell the same, and different creators are more popular than others. The retailers were in a panic. They they didn't want to get stuck with comics they couldn't sell then wizard announced who was doing the which book and retailers were put at ease but wizard was wrong out of the six books they'd managed to get only one right in the end we spilled the beans to the retailers with any luck not all the information has been filtered down to the fans and there's still sub surprises in store for you so yeah so it's one of those things where i don't recall wizard's reporting of it I don't think they were saying specifically they mentioned they didn't know they were just putting up pictures next to potential titles they could work on so anyway they weren't trying to spoil the surprise there for you Larson but speaking of uh, spoiled sports Jim Lee handling Savage Dragon 13 is kind of a joke because Dragon is barely in the story at all it's a very cool rendition of Savage Dragon on the cover but Grifter from Wildcats is the star in this tale of rival mafia groups jockeying for power and Grifter's brother being an undercover agent infiltrating one of them. So apparently though, Eric Larson was so unhappy with this issue, he eventually made his own issue 13A to tell the story the way he thought it should be done. I don't blame him though because Jim Lee seemed to not be following the rules by making the story about one of his own creator-owned characters and just shoving it into somebody else's title. But by the same token, Larson worked for freak force and dragon into his issue of wildcats so he didn't really have a leg to stand on especially since in the letters section he admits that he and jim decided that they would surprise each other and not reveal their plan so that's a recipe for disaster if you're not coordinating in any way so the final pair to trade up books were jim valentino and rob liefeld Yep, we saved the best and worst for last. So confession, I originally bought the wrong issue of Shadowhawk because the drawing on the cover looked very Liefeld to me. I was just doing it based on my own visual perception. But the reason for the confusion, in fact, was that Liefeld draws in a Frank Miller style for this number zero issue where Shadowhawk teams up with Rob's new Bloodstrike solo hero. If you've listened to the show, obviously I'm not a fan of Liefeld art, but when the point is for the fans to see how you would interpret another creator's character in your style, Rob... Don't ape another, more revered artist instead. I mean, really, I'm starting to think that Rob thrives on pissing people off and then just plays dumb about it. Oh no, I just thought it'd be cool. Really, Rob? I mean, it just seems like everything he does is meant to upset people. Anyway, the art is terrible. There's like no details in the penciling or the inking. It's just like general shapes of characters. It doesn't look finished. And on the Rob's observations podcast, Leifeld said he was doing a chiaroscuro style and well it sucks. Uh, Much more successful, and frankly the best of the bunch, is Jim Valentino on Youngblood number 9. A small sidebar, notice how Todd was on issue 25 with Spawn, despite a couple issues missing in the middle. Jim Lee and Eric Larson were on issues 13 and 14 of their titles. Rob was only on issue 9 of Youngblood after two years. I mean, that's just ridiculous. But speaking of ridiculous, Valentino tells a silly story of Badrock getting wined and by Hollywood executives who want to merchandise him as an action figure, cartoons, kids meals, and more. But by the end, when he invites the entire Image universe and a few more over to his mansion for the premiere of The Bad Rock Show, it's a dumbed-down Barney-style program that everyone laughs at. So this issue is just a goofy, fun romp, lots of gags, and cameos. Like, Valentino draws himself in as a TV news reporter, but you also get non-copyright infringement glimpses of spider-man batman and a weird mashup of george lucas steven spielberg and francis ford coppola who's like this highfalutin director who's gonna manage the bad rock show plus there is a funny bit at the airport when bad rock arrives where there's a guy with the legend easter island head logo on his tie and he's holding a sign for john byrne so obviously that was some sort of a (laughs) jab at john byrne there though the name is slightly cut off but most oppressive of all valentine goes all George Perez and draws the entire Image Comics roster in one full-page panel, including Leo Gen 13 and The Max, Prophet, and Todd McFarland's Boof character, among many others. I'm surprised, though, he didn't shove Waldo in there just to get one more gag in. But this was definitely the most enjoyable read of all, which just goes to show that the other Image guys took themselves way too seriously and should have just played around in someone else's sandbox a little more creatively but uh there you have it my review of image x month a fun idea eh, with a so-so execution all right let's see what's next well hey welcome back again to another
0: installment of kinetti's corner this month i want to talk about some books that i am reading first i just picked up a really cool book called lady killers by joelle jones it is Fantastic. It's so fun. It's about a housewife. I guess she's in like the late like the 60s or late 50s and she's also a, like an assassin and like a murderer or like a serial killer. It's wild. It's so fun. I highly recommend it. It was just recently optioned for TV and I think either Netflix or Amazon or somebody's going to be making a TV series out of this. It's super cool. I was really really pumped about it and I'm really enjoying it. It's a lot of fun. Other than that, I just read the Fifth issue of the Tom King Clayman Batman Catwoman story, and I'm really bummed because it's going on like hiatus for about two months. It's going to be a delay due to like art constraints, but it is so good. The fact that they have the Phantasm in it, uh, Harley Quinn shows up in this issue. It's really, really terrific stuff. It's it's funny because there's so many books coming out that I buy, and if you saw my stockpile of books that you know i want to buy them i read them whatever i have them and they just kind of fall behind but this particular book this batman catwoman is a must read every time it comes out i pick it up i buy it i read it i love it yeah it's really really cool and if you want to get a good trade pick up lady killers it is so cool you won't be disappointed it's really really fun it's great great stuff And that is
1: Kennedy's Corner. Hey there, gift-giving geeks. We're just taking a break to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, Fun.com. You know, Michael, Steven, and I buy each other presents all the time, and we're always looking for the most obscure and nerdy items to impress each other. Speaking for personal experience, Fun.com is a fantastic source for officially licensed pop culture clothing, toys from the likes of DC and Marvel. How about Ghostbusters or the Batman movies? Plus exclusive items you just won't find anywhere else. There's actually a killer Venom t-shirt in an Eric Larson style available only at Fun.com. It's super cool. And check this out. Just for being a listener to Wizards, the podcast guide to comics on the Retro Network, you can get 10% off your next order from Fun.com through August 7th, 2021. The 10% will automatically be subtracted from your shopping cart total there on the site. Just click the link found in the show notes for this episode and the discount will be automatically applied. I've done it. I bought my daughter a Wonder Woman t-shirt, a Star Wars themed storybook for my son, and uh, maybe a few items for myself as well. So treat yourself or your geeky friends and family to the gift of fun from fun.com. Oh yeah, it's time for Hunkin' Babe of the Month. I'm too sexy for my shirt, too sexy for my shirt, so sexy it hurts. And I'm too sexy for Milan, too sexy for Milan, New York and Japan. This month our hunk is Bloodshot. Hey, pretty hunky guy, that Bloodshot. When I mean, he's not globe trotting and battling evildoers, he enjoys relaxing at home with a pipe and hot cup of herbal tea and some old flicks on K- Hey, wait a minute. Why the hell is Bloodshot holding the remote control? I thought his nanite-powered guardian angel could control machines using his nanite blood. Aw, oh, man. This whole Bloodshot thing's a scam. He can't control Jack. Screw this guy. Out of the babe. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty hilarious panel they have here where he's just sitting in the This armchair with some tea and, uh, you know, in a robe. Like, it's pretty hilarious. Obviously, this is many years before Vin Diesel was associated with the character. But hey, our babe this month is Sax. That's some lay. anywho. J.J. Sachs here, one half of the team known as Sachs of Violins, is long overdue to grace the hunkered babe page. Without a doubt, she is one of the hottest babes ever to become Babe of the Month. For those of you who want to see more of Miss Sachs, and we mean that in every sense of the word, check out the four-issue Sachs and Violins miniseries from Epic, Marvel's heavy hitters line. You'll get an eyeful. Yeah, so we have this, you know, curly, dark-haired woman who has a grass skirt on and is topless except for a lay that is covering... You know, and uh, it's one of those things where Saxon violins has been mentioned a couple times throughout Wizard as like, you know, a more risque title that Peter David was writing. I can't remember who the artist was on that with him. But yeah, so it's interesting to finally get some glimpse of Saxon violins because Wizard has not had anything other than, you know, printed mentions, but no actual pictures, so I don't know if that's gonna be for me, but either way, there you go. Our hunk and babe of the month. Alright, guys, so now it's time to get into the contests for this issue. You know, I've been trying to think up some sort of name for this segment, and for now, we're going to call it Caps Cookie Contests. <laughs> So, this first one here is a giant-size X-Men giveaway, and they say here, Hey, how'd you like to own the original X-Men Volume 1, Number 1? Yeah? tough. It's too much money, and we ain't springing for it. What we will do is give you the next best thing, the first appearance of the new X-Men. Read on for the full skinny. So the grand prize is Giant Size X-Men number one, featuring the first appearance of the second generation X-Men team, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Storm, Cyclops, Thunderbird, Sunfire, Banshee, and Colossus. As Wizard puts it, pretty spiffy. Now all you gotta do to win that little treasure is fill out the official Giant Size X-Men giveaway entry form below. Damp a stamp and mail that bad boy off if we pick your name out of the hat or barrel or whatever the hell it is we use bingo you're the winner yeah so it's interesting this is like they're they're acting as though giant size x-men is not as big a collectible as x-men number one personally I I would love to see the prices on that like I'm sure just for age and rarity the original x-men comic is maybe more popular but as far as like character recognition giant size x-men number one I mean that's where it's at that team you know anyway let's see what's next here all right cool this is a maximum carnage contest where they say experience all the horror of a psychopathic mass murderer right in the comfort of your own home with the claims maximum carnage video game cartridge and hey that's not all you can win read on for the full scoop so the grand prize is an acclaimed Maximum Carnage video game cartridge and a Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Gotta have something to play it on. And so they're telling you how you can win. They say, shown are the mugshots of six of Spidey's most fearsome foes, but only four of them took part in the Havoc in Maximum Carnage, the 14-chapter storyline. They ran through Amazing Spider-Man number 378 to 380, Spectacular Spider-Man 201 to 203, Spider-Man 35 to 37, Spider-Man Unlimited numbers 1 and 2, and Web of spider man 101 to 103 in order to be eligible to win that neat stuff you gotta do some detective work and apprehend and exonerate a couple of the vilest villains in spider-man's rogues gallery find the two supervillains who have been falsely accused of participating in maximum carnage list the names of the innocents on the official maximum carnage sweepstakes entry form and mail the whole thing off so, the two wrongly accused villains who we have to choose from here are Shocker, Hobgoblin, Shriek, Doppelganger, Carry On, and Demogoblin. I am almost certain that it is, like, Hobgoblin and demo goblin that are not part of this but i could be wrong i just i don't remember any goblins as part of maximum carnage but it's been a very long time since i read it i do want to mention here though they do have another winner announcement here as they've started doing just shoved into a new contest so this is the winner of the game gear contest from wizard 33 the answer in fact was neil adams when he had to reassemble all the uh, cubes that have been cut apart and rearranged in a picture Him that went to Matthew Greenia of Chicopee, Massachusetts. So, what do you know? Now, coming out of nowhere here is the Wizard Ultraverse contest, where they say, if you win this contest, you'll be covered with loads and loads of cool Ultraverse stuff, all yours, for free. Who do you have to shave and handcuff naked to, to a stop sign to win? Nobody. Oh, thank you. That has nothing to do with this contest. What you gotta do is know your Ultraverse Ultra Heroes, but we'll get to that in a second. First, here's exactly what you can win. So, the grand prize is the complete set of regularly released Ultra reverse comics that shipped between, and then they just go through like all, everything, you know, starting with Prime number one, ending with Wrath number one through five. Second prize is a complete set of hologram books, including the hologram editions of Exiles, Freaks, Hardcase, Mantra, Prime, Prototype, and The Strangers. If you guys have been watching our YouTube series, we showed off the Mantra number one hologram cover. It was very cool. Third prize is a Prime collection, hardcover book, signed by writers Gerard Jones, ugh, and Led Strzyszewski, and artist Norm Brayford Google, a Frame Prime poster by Boris Vallejo, and a complete set of Skybox Ultraverse Master Series trading cards, including all 14 chase cards, because I'm pretty sure nobody bought those cards. Uh, fourth prize is a complete set of the Breakthrough Crossover Series, and fifth prize is an Ultraverse t-shirt and home pin. Pretty keen, eh? The way to win that stuff is simple. All you gotta do is take a gander at the four Ultraverse heroes, match them to their alter egos, just write the correct alter egos letter next to each character's name on the entry form, and boom! You're in the running when you're done figuring out the secret ids fill out the entry form below and mail it off so you have to know everybody's alter egos i don't think i could do that for anybody like i'm looking at the characters here and they're like nightman's alter ego prototypes alter ego sludge's alter ego and solitaire's alter ego like i wouldn't recognize any of them except for nightman because obviously the guy over here is the only one with long hair and nightman is the only one with long hair. But other than that, I would not be in the running for winning this contest. Eh, maybe that's not such a bad thing. And that about does it for the contest, except for this is a special edition of the drawing board, because as they remind us, the Vampirella we all know and love is, well, a vampire, naturally. But a few months ago, the folks at Harris Comics and Wizard Press got to wondering what she might look like if she were some other kind of monster. As a result, we challenged wizard readers to create a new look for Vampy that retained her vivacious sensuality. The grand prize winner flies off with two pieces of original Buzz Vampirella art, while second place winners can line the their coffins with copies of Vampirella Number 1 signed by Jim Ballant and Louis Small Jr. We now present to you the best of the best for more than 1,000 entries received. Yeah, so the grand prize winner was the Alien, and yes, this is Alien from the movie Alien and Aliens, you know, a xenomorph version of Vampirella, which is pretty cool. I mean, it's it's a very nice design here by Michael Angelo Alfonso of Westfield, New Jersey. And then going on here, we'll put all these on social media so you can check them out but there were actually quite a few predatorella which is to say the predator but vampirella as the predator so that kind of cracked me up there's one that's kind of a cop out because it's Invisorella. so it's basically what if vampirella was the invisible man or invisible woman and she is out in the nighttime in the snow and her bandages are like hanging off her so she if she was naked you know like you could actually see her being visible but this is just like bandages essentially and then she's breathing so there's like the steam coming out of her mouth but it's kind of a, like a funny gag like I enjoy that one and then there's a lot of ones that were called Demorella, where she was just like a demon you know basically there was Zombarella there was Amphiborella, was who was like creature from the Black Lagoon there was Bridarella of Frankenstein or something like that they say in parentheses my personal favorite though is Fredorella by Jaime Hazel uh, because it is is... Freddy Krueger and Vampirella mashed up. It's just a really cool look. I, I dig it. And I feel like this is a design actually that has shown up in later stuff like if you go on Tee Public or some of these places where people can create their own designs you get the female Freddy character. And then one of the last ones here is Medusarella. So it's like what if she was Medusa and had snakes for hair? But yeah so it was kind of an interesting contest there and I hope they enjoyed their original art. Oh very nice. But uh Uh, hey let's see what we have up next here now it's time to talk about the top 10 hottest books of august 1994 You can believe it. In the number one spot... They say here the long climb up to the charts is finally over for Gen 13 number one, arguably the hottest book of the spring and summer months. This book stalled at number two before taking a slight dip, but due to overwhelming demand for the entire Gen 13 series, it has screamed back up to the top of the hill. Fans have embraced this series in a very big way, with first day sellouts of each issue being the norm in most stores. After the obligatory number zero issue, look for the underrated J. Scott Campbell and crew to pick up where they left off and give the fans a they really want an ongoing gen 13 series starting with issue number six in november and hey maybe campbell himself will make it to the top 10 hot artist chart so yeah this was definitely a big deal not for me until the regular series started and they actually started over with number one for the ongoing instead of number six but yeah this was definitely the start of the trend there now number two is Deathblow 5a which we talked about last time but now they explain more clearly why this and so many image variant books from that month were such a big deal. So this is what it says. This is the hottest of the four alternately covered books from the Wildstorm family to show up here in the top 10 land. Why? Because the variant covers are printed one per five copies. The titles with the lowest orders would naturally have few available copies with variant covers. The alternate covers are all part of a monster-sized piece by Wills Portacio. And you lucky fans out there who find copies of these alternates can build yourself a gigantic jigsaw puzzle out of him. What's under this oh-so-special cover? Deathblow finds out his cancerous condition is worsening, so he goes to a strip joint, throws a bag on, kills some guys who were trying to rub him out, and ends his night of fun by picking up one of the strippers. All in all, a book chock-full of family values, and really nice Tim Sal artwork. So yeah, now we know, uh, aside from the content of the book, what is selling it, this is part of a giant mural by Wills Portacio, which I'm sure was used to get his name back in the limelight as part of his launch of Wetworks just the month prior. So, wow, that's pretty crazy though. I, I wasn't expecting that because before they all just look kind of like, oh, you know, here's a random design, but now you can see how they all fit together. So in number three is Lady Death, number one. In number four is She number one, and they're sure to mention this is all part of the bad girl trend. In number five as well is one of those Will's Portacio covers. It's Kindred, number 3A. And then number six is Wildcats, number 11A. Again, part of that whole look. And number seven, and this is probably the only way this book would ever get onto the charts, Wizard says, Stormwatch makes his first appearance on the top ten as this month's final participant in the variant Portacio puzzle. When all is said and done, and it may be by the time you read this, the puzzle will have encompassed eight covers and captured big-time collector interest. It seems that alternate covers have become something that collectors have really embraced as of late. Even though multiple covers have been around since Superman the Man of makes series number one? Remember that one? What will be the next collecting fad to rear its head in comicdom? We've got a great idea. How about a great story with great art that everyone wants to read? How's that for cutting edge? Yeah, sticking it to them. (laughs) Alright, so number eight is Catwoman number twelve. And they say here this puppy, or should we say it kitty, shows up here not because it's a bad girl book, although Jim Ballant draws this anti-heroine mighty nicely, but because the comic-consuming public not that any of you out there are actually eating your comics, are you? Well, I did in our first YouTube video if you want to go back and watch me take a bite out of X-Force number one. That is our man-eats comic video. Anyway, feels that this book has historical presence. While Robin number eight is the first reappearance of Bruce Wayne in his Bat Duds, that reappearance is only a cameo on the last page. Miss Kyle's book has bats in full regalia throughout, and it's the issue in which Bruce issues a challenge to Azrael for the mantle of the bat. Funny, we always thought the mantle of the bat was Mickey. Pretty heady stuff, and all of you astute comic history buffs have noticed big time. Oh, so that's good to know. If any of you were looking to complete your Nightfall saga, definitely gotta have Catwoman 12. Uh, Number 9 is Vampirella, and number 10 is Amazing Spider-Man number 149. Yes, the oldest book on this list, and for those of you who don't know, that is the first appearance of the Spider Clone, and because the Spider Clone saga has now kicked off officially at this time, they have to put that on the top 10 list. Everybody must have been digging through back issue bins, trying to find it. Still, Wizard seems to think it's stupid. This is what they say. I'll just read a snippet for you here. This is one of those books the enormous interest in which probably amazes all of you out there as much as it does us. Just try to find this book in a comic store. This was a fairly crappy story about Spider-Man and his clone that has ties to a pretty crappy present-day story about Spider-Man and his clone. I mean, I... It's barely even gotten started. That's the part I've not understood about their hatred of the Spider-Clone saga and they've already declared it's just stupid based on premise. But hey, at least Wizard was equal opportunity Stark in those days, huh? Take a chill pill, Rob. They were giving the business to everybody, and uh, that does it for the top ten comics. Now let's check out the top ten heroes and villains list. There I go. Yes, here we are with the top 10 heroes and villains of the month. So wouldn't you know it, the number one spot, none other than Spawn. Although they do notice here that he is celebrating his first six months as the most popular character in the land since we started this little chart. So yeah, he's Definitely uh the number one guy and doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon. Number two is Spider-Man. Again, because of the Spider Clone saga, they think that's gonna heat up, even though they think it's a dumb storyline. Number three is Batman, and uh they are also sticking it to some superhero movies. Batman is kind of grimacing in pain with some sort of drool all over him, and they say, What the hell is going on here? It seems that someone strapped Bat Muchacho to a chair and slapped Batman Returns into the VCR. That's kinda how I. I looked when I saw that piece of crap. <laughs> Man, Relentless, relentless. It's heating up here, wizard guys. The snarkometer meter is off the charts. Number four is Gambit. Number five is Pit. Number six is Superman. Number seven is Prophet. And here's what they have to say. Sheesh, this guy's got more stuff stuck to his head than Burt Reynolds. It's no small wonder that this guy's an ornery cuss. It appears that Mr. Prophet has many abilities, among them super strength. The ability to carry two of the most enormous guns on the planet at once, and a fun little berserker rage that rears its ugly head when... Whatever his hair gets must. All these qualities, coupled with a shrouded past, put profit in the hot column as far as characters go. Now if he could just sum it up the ability to make that plaque guy drive faster, he'd be awesome. Now number eight is The Violator. They say, hot on the heels of his own scorching miniseries, The Violator, who might be played by Thromama from the Train's Anne Ramsey if they ever make a Spawn movie, and if she wasn't dead, makes a triumphant return to this column after a brief absence. Even without his powers, this guy's one mean little SOB. That stands for Son of Beelzebub. But with them he's a one-man riot squad. Whether he's in his human form, punching his hand through heads, or it is demonic guys ripping people's hearts out. One thing's for sure, all you little sickos out there find this guy plenty cool. We must admit, like mold on cheese, he's growing on us too. And in the number 9 spot we have Lady Death. And in the number 10 spot... Ripclaw! He says here, We're beginning to spot another trend here in popular character land. First, it was Mysterious Past, then, and now, it's Hot Women. But wait a minute, 6 of the top 10 characters have no irises in their eyeballs. 7 if you count Spidey's mask. 8 if you count the picture of Superman above, where he had red eyes. Regardless of what his eyeballs are up to, or what he's up to his eyeballs in, this Ripclaw guy is pretty cool. With his regular appearances in Cyberforce, Ripclaw carved out, get it, a niche as a character to keep an eye on providing you have irises he's got nice teeth too wonder if he and Pitt share the same dental hygienist they had a comment earlier about Pitt having nice oral hygiene all right well that does it for the top 10 heroes of villains but of course time for my favorite the mort of the month and this month we have mort's that's right it's the great lakes avengers yay our first team entry and boy is it a goodie what a cast of crap we're looking at here Flat man, a cross between Reed Richards and Kate Moss. Hey. That's very 90s. Doorman. Don't forget to tip him. A pterodactyl-like chick named Dinosaur. Ugh. And last, but certainly not least, Big Bertha. A female blob. Sort of like a superheroic Roseanne Arnold. Oh, man. A cheap shot there, wizard. Their leader, Mr. Immortal, assembled the lamest bunch of heroes since, well, the current Avengers. Based them in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and dubbed them the Great Lakes Avengers. Hawkeye, after quitting the West Coast Avengers, decided to see what these clouds were all about. After dubbing them, quote, funky, but saying their code name stunk, he decided in a stroke of genius on his part to lead them, for fortunately, he led them to their demise. I just hope he remembered to flush twice. Ha <laughs> ha! Oh, yes. Great Lakes Avengers. I don't think they're a crew that has gotten any sort of additional acclaim, unless was Squirrel Girl part of the Great Lakes Avengers? I feel like she was, right? Like a later edition or something like that. But either way, yeah, that seems to have stood the test of time. Well, that about does it for this issue. I hope you enjoyed our look at some of the additional things hiding in issue 37 of Wizard. It was a very, very fun discussion. Uh, just a reminder, we were sending off Stephen as he decided to create and film his own movie, The UFO Club, so you can look for that probably next year sometime, but he will be back towards the end of the year. It's just a few months off to get all that squared away. Of course, Michael and I will be back. for finally doing the Beyond Zero Hour special issue. It was a very interesting discussion. I think we'll put it that way. If you had memories of Zero Hour, then you will certainly enjoy that. And uh, if you didn't, hopefully we're of some sort of help explaining what was going on there. Also, just a reminder that Michael himself will be going to assist Stephen with his movie so that it's just little old me. And what do I have planned? Well, some pretty fun stuff. I'm actually bringing on some guests from other podcasts to help fill the gap left by Stephen and Michael and I think you're really going to enjoy those fresh perspectives as we get into what I consider uh, some great issues of Wizard and you know August is the 30th anniversary of the release of Wizard number one and we might have some very high profile guests coming your way to participate and celebrate that's all I'll say for now but until next time keep your books bagged and boarded